First, I'd like to read Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. We'll pray and we'll get started. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You pray with me. Father, we're grateful for the time in which you have granted to us. I would pray that you would give us eyes to see marvelous things in your law and that we would speak of such things to your glory. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And so for the last several Sundays, we've been looking at the doctrines of grace. Um, I have been uh, mentioned that um, to be reformed would include... Uh, being Calvinistic. And so to be Calvinistic would include at least what we would call the doctrines of grace. It means more than that, but it would be no less than that. And so with that, we've been looking at the the doctrines of grace in the various uh, areas. I started with sovereignty uh, and then moved through total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. I didn't have to point to you that time. Um, The essence of of a Calvinistic life includes not only the doctrines of grace, uh, but a few other items as well. Um, But when we looked at the doctrines of grace, we saw that Others have, uh, we would know it as the TULIP acronym, but others have used other means to also describe the remonstrance uh, response. So we looked at it using this acronym. Uh, some would use this, uh, the TULIP acronym and be more precise for total depravity. They would call it radical depravity unconditional election, particular redemption, efficacious grace, and persevering grace. But also, uh, the other acronym that we looked at earlier, you could use gospel, which um, the, what I call the Spanish version, the siege, uh, yes, Jesus, I see Jesus. And also, uh, Roses. Um, I think this comes from Sinclair Ferguson, who's a a Scottish theologian, reformed. And he would uh, list several items that characterize what it means to be Calvinistic. So it would at least be the the doctrines of grace. But he would um, also broaden it, as you think, being Calvinistic would include several other items as well. Uh, the trust in the sovereignty of God. The experience of the power of God's grace to save hopeless and helpless sinners. An overwhelming sense of being loved by a Savior who has died specifically and successfully for one's sin. The discovery of a grace that has set one free to trust, serve, and love Christ while yet not destroying one's will. And also 
the quiet confidence and poise engendered by knowing that God has pledged himself to preserve, persevere with his people till all the ransomed church of God is saved to sin no more. So whatever it means to be Calvinistic, it would at least include the doctrines of grace. Others, it would expand on it uh, accordingly. Today we'll be looking also at something that would be fall into this category of what it means to be reformed. We would say Calvinistic, but we would also say confessional. So we will be looking at confessionalism. And just to give you some sense of how uh, confessionalism or, or being confessional is being uh, traced, it's used being traced through history. When we think of being confessional, means to acknowledge, and its use. Interesting, typically these, well, confessional in this sense is being used two ways. Uh, One as a noun and as an adjective. When you think of it as a noun, it's associated with the Roman church. In this sense, the confessional booth, if you will, or the cage, uh, I would call it, uh, where the priest is on one side and Uh, Someone else is on the other side. Uh, But when used as an adjective in this way, it's the reform understanding of uh, being confessional. And so what you see at the bottom blue line is confessional in the sense of uh, the Roman church use of it, how it's just kind of pretty much uh, has been steady. But the use of it in the reform sense actually has grown in in its use. use. And so that's what you see the red line uh, being shown. Uh, I would say it's um, the rise or the um, of reform doctrine, if you will, or the um, either because of the what the new, what do they call this? I've got the group that, uh, the new Calvinists, Young Restless Reform, <laughs> Young Restless Reform is that, um, uh, Presbyterianism as well, the rise of Reform uh, Baptists. <clears throat> so uh, I think that has something to do with its uh, more popular use or the increasing use of the term confessional. And as you see, it's not associated with anything to do with the Roman church. At least that's my guess. I mean, someone else has an additional insight. Thank you, Joe. Does the confessional part, uh, I'm trying to figure out where to put this, that pertains directly in that 
actually does have a confession. Yes. Despite, I mean, the London Baptist. Mm-hmm. So it all pertains mostly to that, right? It's a, okay, that's... A that's Yes, so historically, you would probably say most churches had a confession of some type. And we'll actually uh, uh, look at that more particular as we move through. Um, so right now we're looking at, okay, what does it necessarily mean to be confessional? Uh, we'll look at some confessional documents. And this will also probably add some additional insight, Sean, to the popularity. Um, so when we, by definition, if... If we, um, we're looking at the term used, I, I just previously showed you how it's used in our culture. And as you think of being, uh, being confessional or confession, is the biblical concept expressed by the words confess and confession have in common the idea of acknowledgement of something. So the, the word itself, if we go back in its roots, um, stem from to acknowledge. And so as the idea of a, to confess or to acknowledge in Scripture, um, you can see the terms that are associated with that to acknowledge and just some scriptural references associated uh, with this idea to acknowledge or to confess. Now, this has to do with the concept of a confession, if you will. And as we think of the uh, a confession, we're familiar with the 1689 or the Westminster or the Savoy. Uh, but confessionalism includes three major documents, if you will. Creeds are part of confessionalism. Uh, catechisms are part of the confession, confess, part of confessionalism, if you will. And so are the written uh, confessions themselves, other larger uh, documents. So as you, when you think of confessionalism and those who would uh, advocate confessionalism, these are the documents that they're uh, referring to or thinking of. Uh, some would uh, adhere to particular creeds, but not necessarily have uh, a full written uh, confession, if you will. Um, I would, my guess is, is like the, well, I won't go there. I'll go there later. So, confessional has to do with a written confession of faith. And the documents summarize complex theological concepts in concise language. So, if someone were to ask, uh, uh, yes, they're confessional. You could, one of the questions that you could ask is, okay, what confessional documents did you adhere to? Uh, for some, that would only be a creed uh, or the catechism, but the understanding is that these three are, are uh, connected. If you're adhering particularly to a confession, you're probably adhering also to particular creeds or catechisms. 
Here are some various groups and their associated uh, confession, if you will. This is just a small group, just a sample. My question to you, uh, call this an informal survey, if you will, uh, how many of you were exposed to a confession before you joined a Reformed church? One, two... <laughs> Halfway, okay. Wait, we have the Baptist faith and message, but no one knew about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think maybe this is like the rise of the internet, but it seemed like church websites sort of put all the churches in a position to have to make a, a page that said what we believe. Yes, yeah. Um, and that was functionally their confession. Hmm. For most churches, that's pretty brief. And I would advocate that uh, every church has a confession, whether what they, they know what that is or not is a different story. Or if it's actually written or if the congregation knows. Yes, Kevin? Would that be the same thing as a statement of In the reform understanding of it, uh, I would say no. Um, but the statement of faith for them is acting as a confession. Say again? I can, I can count you in? Okay. Um, follow-up question. Why do you think um, people are not exposed? I would say people, but the congregation itself are not exposed to the, to the, the church's statement of faith, if you will, or uh, their confession. Unit, okay. Concerned with, yeah, with, with uh, doctrine divides. Mm. Okay. Joby? When we were moving, we were looking for churches outside the area, and we asked different pastors, what kind of people do you read, what kind of things, what, what kind, of, kind of confessions do you like, and all this stuff. And one of the responses from a Southern Baptist church was, I don't feed them meat because they're not ready for meat. Mm. Okay. Jordan? So with that, I think a lot of the reason, too, is because I think oftentimes in the congregation might not even know what their confession is or their statements of faith because a lot of times what's on the website has nothing to do with what happens within the home. Mm. Yes, maybe. Um, so my church and then it looks like, I mean, they're pretty, I mean, their statement of faith was just basically like several lines and mentioning, I think, like the 1644 or 1646 confession. They just provided a link to it and they said, like, okay, we disagree with something about the Mosaic um, law. I mean, they read covenant theology and stuff like that. Like they just provided some, uh, some other links. But yeah, at least. Okay. Yeah, Michael? She mentioned, um, so Laura's family, uh, she grew up in the Church of 
Okay. Get, get point, and we'll probably address it. We'll get Kevin and Cheryl. more sure. Fully, we will actually address that, that at the end. Um, quick question for you: Why do you think we need a confession? We have the Bible. Why do we need a confession, Daniel? And then we we'll get you. Arthur. Good. Author, and then we get Lee. Yeah, I'd like to, if you 
Just the opposite of what you were referring to. You said wanting to be uh, a greater understanding of what's taking place instead of what's actually taking place. We'll get Lee and then we'll get you, Michael. So, as Arthur was saying, it's, it's a means of sitting out distinctiveness, hmm. right? Uh, so, for instance, uh, uh, why, why we're distinct from the Presbyterian. Hmm. Okay. And that's a good description of it. Here are some, uh, some responses. Uh, we do not always remember as fully and as quickly as we should from our study of the scriptures. Uh, if we were not sinners, we would all read and believe God's word exactly as God intended. We would not disagree about anything in scripture. There would be no divisions in the church. There would be no false teachers, no heresies, and no need for church discipline. We have confessions to unite us on the foundational beliefs of the one and only true faith. It connects us to the rich heritage of the Christian faith. It's a biblical, historical, it's biblical, historical, and evangelical. Um, just some of the reasons, not an exhaustive list, just some ideas, sir. Um, so the, the confessions are faith, scripturally based. Um, um, so it's not as if here's the scriptures, as a lot of the Southern Baptists would say, here's the Bible and here's your confession of faith, as if the two are not connected. The, the confessions are a, a summary statement of, of what's in scripture. So the two... Um, are not two separate entities. You can think of it this way. Someone says, well, I'm a Christian. You ask, well, what do you mean when you say you're a Christian? Because we have all kinds of ideas of what a Christian is that's on there. So it is not even safe to say when someone says they're a Christian that they even understand what that means. 
And so you would ask them, well, what do you mean when you say a Christian? Their response is their statement of faith, is their confession that's on there. They are simply a summarizing, hopefully, what the scripture says about a Christian. And it says a lot about that. But when you say it, what do you mean? So you would turn to the scriptures and you would say, okay, John says such and such, or Paul says such and such. And then you would make a summary statement of that. So the confessions work in that way. They don't replace scripture. They don't add anything to scriptures. It's a summary statement of scripture. Uh, This is what uh, those of you who know uh, Hodge, Alexander, uh, Archibald Alexander Hodge. Uh, this is uh, his response to why we need uh, a confession. It, Creeds and confessions, therefore, have been found necessary in all ages and branches of the church, and when not abused, have been useful for the following purposes to mark, disseminate, preserve the Attainments made in the knowledge of Christian truth by any branch of the church in any crisis of its development. To discriminate the truth from the, the glossiest of false teachers, the glossiest of false teachers, and to present in its integrity and due proportions, to act as the basis of ecclesiastical fellowship among those so nearly agreed as to be able to labor together in harmony. And I think I got one more. To be used in as instruments in the great work of popular instruction. So, it is intended that, um, and, and I like uh, Matt, uh, Michael's description of guardrails. We come, when we say that uh, uh, God's sovereignty, we mean this. If we say grace, we mean this. We say gospel, we mean this. Particularly important during today's culture because people are confused when it comes to terms. And there are those who would use the terms that you understand and would change the meaning of it. So now we have pregnant people. Used to be that it was only women who could be pregnant, but now we have pregnant people. They would use the terms and have you understand it in this way instead of his historical or traditional way that's on there. So that is what our culture is doing. What the confessions guard against is that when we use this particular term, this is what we're referring to. Now, we might say that it also includes some additional things, but we have a foundational understanding of the terms that we're using. So uh, I have three examples of Paul's use of uh, a confessional statement, if you will. First Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. These are known as uh, Paul's trustworthy sayings. There's uh, several cases where Paul is acknowledging, confessing, if you will, summarizing uh, scripture. And his use of the phrase to, to, to acknowledge that is this 
trustworthy saying. Um, now, the reason why it would be known as an acknowledgement or a summary statement or a confessional statement is that it is also, the statement is prominent in other places in Scripture. So, in this case, the idea uh, that to save sinners is the phrase that I highlighted there in Matthew 9, 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, in 1 Timothy, we see a confessional statement, if you will, a summary of uh, statement that simply echoes in Matthew, and actually in all of the Gospels that's associated. Here it is, is in John. Uh, in Matthew, it's paralleled in uh, Mark, and of course in Luke. And here's uh, John's statement as well, this idea to save sinners. This would be considered a confessional statement, if you will. An acknowledgement. So here's scripture, and in this case, this is all scripture, but here's Paul utilizing how we would use a confession. Another one of his trustworthy sayings, 1 Timothy 3.1, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Here Paul was concerned to establish order in the churches that he pastored. And you see that uh, here in Titus 1.5, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order uh, the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I had commanded you. Another one of his trustworthy sayings, 1 Timothy 4.7-9, or reject profane and old wise fable and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promises, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Uh, this is the King, the New King James, which says faithful saying, uh, ESV, NIV, NASB, uh, would, continue, would use the phrase trustworthy saying. But the faithful saying falls in the same category for the New King James. And so here is the reference to, uh, to Luke. Oh, sorry for the typo there. For Christ's teaching. So Paul is making confessional statements grounded in Scripture. Of course, he's uh, is scripture, analogy of faith, if you will, scripture being used scripture, but Paul is making confessional statements based on scriptural foundation. And we would say that the confession uh, runs in two directions. They look back at God's past redemptive activity in Revelation Erecting Ebenezer's to remind the church of what he has done. I got that from uh, Jay Fesco. So the confession looks back. The confession looks forward. And the, 
and they lean forward into the future as parents are to educate their children in the meaning. In this case, he used the example of the uh, Passover. How in the Passover, the parents were to teach uh, the significance of the Passover. So this is also the beauty of the confession. It points historically, and it also guards for the future. So as uh, parents catechize their children, they're, uh, as part of this process, when the parents say uh, grace, because they have catechized, catechized the children, the kids understand grace. Um, and if the, they encounter someone else who's saying that grace is such and such, they would understand, well, actually, grace means this. Where did you get that from? A foundation has been established. And so the next generation. And so we have a 1689 confession. And we're in 2023. And we understand the terms associated with the confession because we can look back. And hey, um, let's look, as we've been teaching through the, the 1689 Confession, uh, there's this introduction. It's lengthy, but I want you to see the, uh, in the Confession, their understanding of why, why we need the Confession. When our faith Wherein our faith and doctrine are the same with theirs. Of course, he's referring to, uh, at this time, the Congregationalists and the Presbyterians. Uh, and this we did the more abundantly to manifest our consent with both in all the fundamental articles of the Christian religion. As also with many others whose orthodox confessions have been published to the world on the behalf of the Protestant uh, in diverse nations and cities, and also to convince all that we have no itch to clog religion with new words, but do readily acquiesce in that form of sound words which hath been in consent with the Holy Scriptures, used by others before us, hereby declaring before God, angels and men, our hearty agreement with them in that wholesome Protestant doctrine which with so clear evidence of scriptures, they have asserted. Some things indeed are in some places added, some terms omitted, and some few changed. But these alterations are of that nature as that we need not doubt any charge or suspicion of unsoundness in the faith from any of our brethren upon the account of them. So this is the establishment of the 1689, in particular referencing the Westminster or maybe the uh, Savoy or, or any of the other confessions that are there. This confession, first of all, knows the acknowledgement that, hey, this is from the scriptures. And this is something that is common among our other Orthodox brothers. Uh, this is kind of a slap in the face to those who say no creed but the Bible. I would say that anyone who claims to confess Christ has a confession, whether they understand it fully or would call it that. But confession is part of what we are as Christians. 
The moment that we say that uh, God is one. The moment that we say that uh, I believe in Jesus. We are making confessions. What the uh, confession, the 1689 confession do for us is give us a fuller foundation for what the scripture is proclaiming. Questions, observations? Okay, that's a good question, but I'll be doing that next Sunday. (laughs) So we say that we have a confession, which we do as a church, which we do as individuals, the 1689. Uh, What does it mean to embrace this confession? And the term we use to describe that is subscription. How do you subscribe to this confession, if you will? as been stated earlier, what happens is, is that you go to a church website and it says about us or what we believe that's on there. It says, okay, that's what you believe, but do you really, does everybody subscribe to that? Does everyone says, yeah, this is what we believe, this is what we state, and this is what we preach, and this is what we teach. The question is, do they subscribe to what they would state on their website that's on there? And so that's subscription. So we'll be looking at that uh, if we say that we have a confession, what does it mean to subscribe to that confession? And we'll look at the particular subscriptions, if you will. But thank you, and I didn't even pay you for that. Uh, Joby. I Uh, I don't disagree with that. Uh, when you are encountering those who are anti-credal, anti-confessional, uh, if you will, one of their uh, arguments is that you're just following other men. Uh, so it's important to, to see that the confession is a summary of Scripture and not because a bunch of men got together and says, this is what we believe and this is what you ought to believe that's on there. Uh, we recognize the wisdom uh, of our forefathers. Uh, uh, and one of the things they made sure that they did was to show that, hey, this is from Scripture. This is not us. This is what the Scripture says. So that's why even in our confession, you see the Scripture reference associated with it. So, so Yes. So, uh, but those who are anti-credal and anti-confessional, they don't see those Scripture references on there. What they see is that, okay, that's, that's what you say. No, the scripture says it right here. Well, that's just what you believe. Well, that's your interpretation. That's what, simply what the scripture says. So we need not fear the confession because it's scripturally based. 
that's on there. So we simply just go to the scripture verse that's on there. But because those, uh, but that's not what the, those who are anti would, would see. They would just see that, okay, you're one of these confessional groups, uh, and we, we simply just believe the Bible. Okay, well, what do you believe about the Bible? Well, everything. But what in particular do you believe about it? And they don't necessarily have the, uh, the wisdom to be able to communicate that. We, on the other hand, have some sense of what the scriptures say, and so we would look for a summary statement to be able to exercise that. We have the confession. So this is just a small part of what it means to, to be confessional, if you will. And let me conclude with uh, Jude 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which once for all delivered to the saints. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful that you have uh, called us to yourself for your own good purposes and yet for our good. You have granted your revelation to us and given us ears to hear. Father, I would pray that even as we prepare uh, for worship service, that in the preaching of your word, you would feed our souls. That you would cause yourself to be praised through the lips of your servants. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed.